um, it makes every meal you know so much more valuable and, and you know it tastes amazing, obviously. But you have so much more invested in it, and it's very rewarding. And when you get to share that with people, it's you know it's unreal. It's you, you can't compare. It. If you say, "Oh, I went and you know I paid thirty bucks for the ingredients at the, at the store for this," or you know I literally spent ten days on a mountain, and on the tenth day I shot this deer and then packed it on my back. Yeah, yes, I will finish all this meat on my plate. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths that people take in life. And in today's episode, we explore the somewhat controversial path of the hobby of hunting. Uh, before I tell you about today's episode, I wanted to let you know about the other episode that I'm sure you saw came out today, which is just a little teaser of the first ever Patreon episode, which dropped today on Patreon. So if you would like to hear the rest of that episode, it is for Patreon supporters only. Um, so if you support in any amount on Patreon to Half Hour Intern, you will get access to that full episode, which was really fun to do and uh, was with Frank, my audio engineer. So if you you've ever wondered about how the audio for this show comes together or what it's like to produce a podcast or any other sort of audio related info. Um, it's a really cool, really interesting episode and a great talk that Frank and I got to have. So that is at patreon.com slash half hour intern. And if you contribute to the show, you will get access to that full episode. So on to this episode that you guys are about to listen to right now. In it, I talk with Stephen about all things hunting. Um, We get really deep into the ethics of hunting and if it is an ethical practice um, and if he ever has any sort of kind of weird or bad feelings about killing animals. Um, We also talk a lot about the logistics of hunting, Um, like what are the prerequisites for hunting? What are the different types of hunting that are out there? How do you sneak up on animals? Um, Where do you aim when you are hunting and you're trying to kill the animal most effectively um, and not, you know, have it be suffering at all? So anyways, we will dig into all of that in today's episode, and I hope you like it. Without further ado, here is hunting. Steven, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, man. Stoked that you're uh, inviting me to be on. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, why don't you first take us back to the origin of you hunting? Like, how did you start hunting? When did you start hunting? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm 30, and when I was 20, I was living in the Bay Area, going to college, and uh, I honestly uh, just one day I, was, I think I was driving by uh, on the 37, and I looked out, and there's a huge marshy area out there, the Susan Marsh, and I saw a bunch of ducks and a lot of uh, interesting, it's just, there's a marsh you could paddle around in. I had a canoe as I'm, I like to fish a lot. And I looked out and I said, you know, I, that, but that's something that I've always wanted to try. So I kind of just did some research and took the few steps that it takes to get into it. And I just paddled out my canoe one day and I made sure I knew what I was doing, shot a couple ducks, brought them back home, uh, cooked them for my my roommates, my, uh, I had like five guys living at our house at that time and we all ate it. I thought it tasted horrible. And I was like, dude, <laughs> what? I was like, this tastes fishy. This tastes nasty. My roommates said, oh, this is, this is what duck tastes like. I was like, man, maybe I, I guess I've never even eaten duck before. I just thought this was something I, I would like. Um, I was actually really surprised. And, uh, and honestly, from that point after I didn't hunt ducks for 
maybe six or seven years because I was just like, well, if they taste that bad, I don't necessarily think I want to go do that again. But it definitely got me over that hurdle of uh, getting my hunter education, getting my hunting license, and you know, and just kind of making that first jump, which is which is tough, you know. But that's that's really what made, got got me into it was I just thought this is uh, something I should try, and I went out and did it. And yeah, you lived in an area that would be good for it, so you just did it. Yeah, surprisingly, I mean, I lived in, living in the Bay Area. I was uh, ten minutes from my house. Uh, and just went out and was able to go out and do it. So it was pretty cool. So I have a question because I've had duck before and I've enjoyed it, but is that because I've had, um, just like shitty farm fed duck that was fed a whole bunch of like corn and stuff its whole life? Is it like, you know, I, I, I always eat grass fed meat and I try to have like, like wild fish and stuff like that. Is it that I probably had a, a duck that was fed like kibble and you had this duck that was actually like had a hard life <laughs> it was like living out there in the wild and eating grass and eating fish and eating all these things so all you know that's what it tasted like no it's because i overcooked it oh. and i didn't i didn't know any better <laughs> it's it's like the biggest thing with pretty much any wild meat i mean it all tastes like you know, the like any animal it's going to taste like its diet it's going to reflect what it eats and and wild ducks especially in the bay area there on the salt marshes what they eat does tend to be a bit fishier there's you can easily get around that, not like get around it, but you can make it not taste overbearingly fishy. But o- overcooking it is the cardinal sin of <laughs> wild gamey, and I probably just torched it. Yeah, yeah. good to know. Good I to just know. didn't know any better. Yeah, at the so time. you meant sorry. Uh, you uh, you mentioned that uh, you needed to go through the steps required to be able to do it. So before you went out hunting that first time, um, did you get a, a hunting license of some sort? Yeah, you do. Uh, in California, you you have to. I mean, I think in most states, um, in, in the United States, at least you have to go through a hunter education course, which is definitely a good thing. It, and it is a, you know, it's, there's one of the more significant barriers of entry to it. It's a little intimidating. You have to go to a class and learn about guns and hunting law, very, very basic hunting law, um, as it applies to your state for the most part and take a test. Uh, the class that I did had an online portion, probably pretty similar to like when you do online traffic school. Uh, and then you go and do an in-class portion and take the test. And then once you get do that, you have a card and that's hundred percent required to get a hunting license. And like I said, I think that's in every state. So that, that took me, you know, a week to get through that. And then you have to get a license. Uh, I believe that for the most part, when you get your first hunting license, you have to go in somewhere in person to show them that card that you've passed a hunter education course. And then after that, you're in the system. So yeah, that was the steps for me to get it. Um, you know, and in California, you have to get for duck, for example, you have to get a uh, duck validation from the state. You have to get a federal water val- or a migratory bird validation because you're essentially it's a federal resource. The ducks go across state lines, even across you know international lines, and so that's it's managed as a federal resource. Hmm. So you you get a twenty dollars stamp. It actually looks like a postage stamp. You stick it on your license and sign it, and then you're legal to hunt that species. And that's something that to get into hunting the the most intimidating thing is the rules because you just don't want to be that guy that breaks the rules because i mean legally then you're a poacher if you're not following the rules and that's a huge deal you obviously want to avoid so taking those steps there's a lot to it um but the fishing game here in, in california they're super helpful if you call them and say hey look i don't know what i'm doing at all they'll take you through every step of the way because they don't want you to be a poacher either they want you to be within the law 
but it's yeah. complicated. It's it's complicated for sure. Do you need to get a stamp like that for basically any possible animal that you could be hunting, or are there some animals that are just like, oh, it's totally cool to hunt that once you but, take your course and you get yeah, your license? Pretty much, um, pretty much everything. There's some endorsement stamp, license, or tag that you need. Uh, ducks are maybe a little more complicated, or waterfowl, ducks and geese are a little more complicated because you have the federal stamp that you have to get. You can't necessarily get that where you get your California license. You can go to the post office and get it, which is interesting. Um, but like for example, uh, quail, which they call an upland bird species, that's a separate endorsement in California on your license. And then you get into big game species. That's a whole nother thing, tags and all that. But uh, for starting out you know, small game birds, waterfowl, that's, I think where a a much better place to start and it's simpler. Um, and that's what I did for, for six or seven years. That's, that's all that I, that only type of hunting that I did was This is an an obscure question that you might not know the answer to, but is there, are are there like classifications of animals that are just considered pests that they just let you hunt that you don't even need a license at all that it's just like, yeah, what, like if there's a, if there's a gopher on your property, and you want to kill it, and you have a gun and a gun license, can you shoot that gopher? Or is it like, nope, you need a hunting license to shoot that gopher? No, so for gophers, I couldn't say specifically. Um, I think there's a perception that if you have like a pest animal on your land, you can shoot it, but that's actually probably not legal. Um, in California, there are no, like, to my knowledge, like pest animals you can just go out and shoot and waste. I mean, even, uh, and I'll get into this, uh, like jackrabbits, for example, in other states, they're considered a varmint, I guess you could say. And you can shoot them and leave them where they lay, uh, which on one level is pretty unethical. And in California, they aren't seen that way. They're seen as a game animal. You're not allowed to shoot them and waste the meat. So there is really no varmint like you can just shoot and leave it there. Um, but people do, you know, of course, possibly um, ground squirrels if they're causing a problem for a rancher. There's, But there's a steps that they have to go through to do that. They can't just go out and sh- start shooting because they feel like it. I, I may be wrong on that. It's just not something that I've ever really needed to look into. But yeah. I, there are there are def- definitely state by state regulations where if, if you're a private landowner and you have a problem due to a certain animal, there are steps you can take to to deal with that varmint vermin. But um, yeah, as, as far as like that doesn't usually deal with your hunting license. I guess this the state has their own ways of handling that. But not being a landowner, I don't know how they handle it myself. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the various types of hunting that you can do. Um, and then if you want to tell us like what your favorite is and why. So, and I'm not necessarily, cause we'll, we'll get into this as well. I'm not necessarily talking about like, um, you know, a rifle versus a handgun versus a bow. Cause I know that you also do some bow hunting, but I more mean like, um, camping out for like a week and you need to just like sit there and sit there and sit there and like wait and wait versus like really aggressively going after something on a hike versus uh like sitting in a boat like you were doing like what what are i guess like different um settings for hunting sure sure um so like i was like talking about we call small game hunting which would be um quail rabbits pheasant grouse those being like upland species uh ducks and geese waterfowl those are all small game so i mean the, the ways that people do it are you know there's multitude of, of ways you know, that people do it but you know typically for waterfowl you see guys sitting in a duck blind waiting they have decoys out they're waiting for the ducks to call, come in they're calling them in and and that would be like what you'd almost call a an ambush type situation or you know they're 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 actively calling them in so they're being a bit more active then there is you know the hunting where you're just sitting and waiting for an animal to walk by um 
and that's not so reflect you know not so much practice in small game hunting but that they're a bit um and then there's like quail hunting which i love you just go out and you just traipse around and you walk and you put the miles in because you just got to walk till you find them um or you can use there's a bit of calling you can do um but for the most part you go out and you just hoof it and you're just busting through the brush and you're hoping that you're going to flush them up and eventually you do um similar with rabbits uh and then so then if we want to go past that into the big game uh realm what's really typical out west here um is yeah like what you talked about backpack hunting which i really that's my absolute favorite thing to do and i do it uh, with a bow almost all the time um is you put everything on your back your camp you know all your clothes food and water for days weeks and you hike out to a super remote place usually not on a trail and you post up and what we typically do is you are looking for animals locating them and then stalking them it's called spot and stalk uh when it's really thick and you can't see you know more than 20 or 30 yards then you're just going to find a likely place and wait and wait for an animal to walk by which is very boring and i don't uh usually have the patience to go through something like that um that's very common on the east coast where they're where the brush and the trees are so thick that that's their only option um, but they also have really high deer densities over there. So it's not like you're going to, I mean, it's a lot of places in California. If you just sat down and waited for a deer to walk by, you could be waiting a year. Uh, but out here we have a lot of really, you know, like up in the Alpine, you can go up and you can look, you, know, you can, with your binoculars or a spotting scope, you can see for miles and miles and miles, and then you can pick out game. And if you, you know, when you see a legal animal, you can come up with a plan and go and, and stock in on it and get it as close as you need to, depending on the weapon that you have. Uh, but those are basically the, that's in a, you know, a very basic level, what the types of hunting that are available to you, to us is, and I, and I'm mostly speaking from the West and specifically California because I've done most of my hunting in California. So, yeah, well, as we talked about before the show, I mean, California has a pretty darn diverse landscape, so it's a pretty good like snippet of life oh, here. It's, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. There's, there's, there's just so much opportunity and I mean, it's not, it's not generally perceived as being a great state to hunt in, but uh, I mean, on the waterfowl side, on the duck duck hunting side, it is perceived as being, it's one of the best. We have ducks that come in from Oregon, Washington, Canada, and even as far as Alaska, they all just filter right through here. So yeah, there's, there's a ton of wildlife out there. And that's, and that's really one thing that I just didn't realize before I started hunting and spending that time out in the mountains with binoculars, just looking around. It's unbelievable how much is out there. And, uh, it's one of the coolest things about it. I could just sit up on the side of a mountain and just watch animals all day. And it's, it's super cool. And, and you do see them. I mean, think about, I'm not sure how much you've gone hiking in the Sierra and stuff, but generally in my experience, before I started hunting, I'd walk around and, you know, maybe on a four day trip, I'd, I'd see a couple deer or something. And if you saw a bear, it was because it was trying to come into your, your camp. But if you go out and you just sit still and you're mindful of the wind and look around, it's unbelievable how many animals you can see. They're just out there avoiding us. You That's know? <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. So speaking of the avoiding us part, how do you sneak up on these animals? Like if it's one that you're tracking, how do you not just scare it away? It's uh, mostly their biggest defense mechanism is their nose. They have unbelievable ability to smell. I mean, like, like I've heard it said is the way we smell to them is probably as intense as a skunk smells to us. It's, it's unbearable and it's strong and it's, you know, unmistakable. That's something that we don't want to be around. Um, but you think you're walking around, you think oh, I don't smell that bad, but so the, the biggest factor is the wind. You just, you absolutely have to to play in 
play the wind to your favor, that the wind is not blowing your scent in their direction. Uh, if, if you don't have that going for you, then you're not going to get anywhere near an animal. Uh, noise would probably be secondary. Uh, you know, the second mechanism by which they, they detect you and then sight it's, you know, everyone has in their mind that these hunters are guys walking around in camouflage, but realistically camo is probably your last, the last thing that you need to sneak up on an animal. I mean, it probably helps, but if you don't have the wind or in your favor and you're not being quiet then no amount of camo is going to save you there. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I, I mean, what you just said makes so much sense, but I wouldn't have considered that before that like the camo and the visual is such a small thing compared to smell. Yeah. I mean, because movement is unmistakable. So that, I mean, they, they, they do have very good eyesight and different animals have varying degrees of good eyesight, like ducks, for example, unbelievable eyesight and camo is definitely a necessity. But again, if you're moving, they're still, even, even if you're dressed up like a tree, they're still going to see you, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, totally. so, so movement is huge, but obviously you have to get close to them. And in the type of hunting I'm talking about where you're sneaking in on the animal, you have to get close to it. So, uh, so movement is, is going to, is what is your worst enemy, but it's also what you have to do to close that distance, especially bow hunting. You have to get ridiculously close. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's something you have to really take into account and you have to come up with a plan really to get, you know, to close that distance and not let them see you. Yeah. So it's part of the challenge. And honestly, with bow hunting, it doesn't work out nine out of 10 times, but that's, that's part of why I love it because you have all those encounters and your season's not over because you have one tag in your pocket. And if you kill the first deer that you've seen, then, then that's, that's it. Your season's over, you know? Okay, so, so let's talk about that. All the terminology you just used. You said you have one yeah, tag sorry. in your pocket, you get one deer. That's funny because my my next question just now is actually going to be like, what are the other legal requirements that you have while you're hunting? So in California, it's actually quite easy um, to go out and just get a tag and, and go hunt. I mean, let's just say for deer, it's by far the most commonly hunted species in North America because there's such an overabundance of them in some areas, and they're just and they're everywhere. That you would you wouldn't believe the areas in California that you can actually find deer. There's pretty much probably no five square mile chunk of land that you can't find them. I mean, even the driest, nastiest parts of the desert have deer here. But uh, so you just need to select the area that you want to go and then see if a tag's available. Generally speaking, the whole Western Sierra, you can just go anytime up till September and and buy a deer tag. So you need to buy your hunting license in California. I think it's about forty eight bucks right now, and a deer tag is. Uh, I I think it's around forty five dollars. So when the deer tag is like the stamp thing that you were talking about that you had to get for that one type of duck, this is like yeah. the one for a deer. Well, for, yeah, for the duck, it was a stamp that's actually just a, an endorsement. But for the, for the deer, it's very important. Actually, you have a tag, and that tag, when the second that it's the second that you find a deer that you've shot, that tag has to go on it, and that's how they keep you honest. Uh, you know, they keep hunters honest as far as only taking that one allotted deer. Is that if they find you without that tag attached to that deer then that looks really bad it's very important that that tag it gets attached to the deer so it's actually a, a tag like a luggage tag you basically attach it in the same way so that it becomes you know your property that, that deer once it's dead and you found it that's your your responsibility to take it out of the field and after so, you've killed one deer or another animal that has the same sort of tag requirement um so first of all are there other animals that have the same requirement or is it just a deer thing yeah no there are um in california that i mean typically hunted Big game species are uh, deer, wild pig, um, and bear, and then also uh, to a way lesser extent, elk, bighorn sheep, and antelope. Okay. Um, but the tags are very, very, very hard to get for those. But so 
going back to the the deer tag, which is like what we call an over the counter tag on the western side of the Sierra. It basically means you can walk over and just buy it over the counter. There's an allotment, but that allotment usually doesn't get filled up until September, and some of them don't ever get all bought up. But can, after you've bought, you can only buy one at a time, I assume, you, right? You can buy two actually in California. Um, there's probably over 40 different deer tag deer zones, and some of them are v- very sought after. And you can, you, I've been trying to get one deer tag for four years. I've been applying, and I haven't gotten it once. But I will eventually get it. And then for that what, a particular def- species or a particular area? For a particular area. It's all by area. Um, in California, we don't have any... There there are different species of deer in California, but the tags are not necessarily species-specific. I mean, if you're hunting in the Eastern Sierra, you're hunting mule deer. If you're hunting in uh, Calusa County, you're hunting blacktail deer. So there's differences, but they're only by area, which is unique. Mm-hmm. In other states, they have by species also. But in... Um, so, so you can get two tags, but that's the most you can get is two. Now, once uh, you've got your two deer, you put your two tags on them, you bring them home, clean them or take them to someone to get clean, whatever. Um, could you go back out and buy two more tags or do they uh, have you like on the books is like, no, you've already had your two. Yeah. Two is the most for a given year. That's with deer. Um, with wild pigs, I don't think that there is a limit. I think you, when you buy them, you buy them five at a time. So they're, they're an invasive species, which is something we can get into, which, you know, as far as the animals that you want to pursue, invasive species are really one of the ones that hunters should be focusing on and do. And in California, they reflect that by the tags are cheaper. They sell them five at a time. There's no limit. I think that now you can maybe only kill one a day of the wild pigs, but you know, they're basically like you were talking about a varmint species in places like Texas. They're a total varmint. They're, you know, a huge economic you know, they, they, you know, they economically negatively impact farmers in a huge way. So they just basically let people go out and shoot them at will, as far yeah. as I know. Yeah. California is not quite like that. And it's it's probably a good thing here that it's not just like a free-for-all. I mean, they expect you to take the meat and you know, take it home and eat it, not just leave it there for waste, which is important, I think. Um, even though they are an invasive species and nobody really wants them around, you still have to respect the animals. So that's the tag is, again, plays into that and making sure that you attach the tag and you take the animal with you, you know, okay. so, so you have your, your tags and your counts. Are there any other legal things while you're out there on the hunt that like, because I'm hunting in the state of California, these are the things I have to be doing right now. Oh, there's a ton. Yeah. Uh, a big one for California is, uh, and it's safe to say just, you cannot essentially hunt with lead ammunition. It, the, the few areas you're allowed to hunt with lead are soon going to be phased out like all the areas in the western sierra sierra that i referenced it's uh you cannot use lead ammunition um the argument for that is the condors and the very very hard time they have whenever they ingest lead into their system you or i we could i mean i wouldn't recommend it but you could eat a lead shot from a quail that you shot and it would go into your stomach and arguably it wouldn't cause you really any harm you wouldn't get lead poisoning from it your body would pass it but a condor if you know a piece of a bullet is in a a gut pile from a deer that somebody shot and they eat it that lead is very big problem for them because they have ultra slow metabolisms and just the way their body handles lead it basically it, it's it's why it, there's one of the reasons why our condor populations are so depleted here so that's a huge thing in california is mm. lead ammunition interesting and you and you and you better make sure that if you're not going to if you are going to use lead ammunition that you're in an area that it's uh, legal to there's tons of other rules about hunting there's shooting hours um you know like when it isn't is not legal to um to shoot generally for big game that's a half hour before sunrise to a half hour after sunset 
for for ducks it's a half hour before sunrise to sunset so um so you you really have to make sure that you know the law because there's a ton to know i mean and there's things about uh baiting which is very popular in other states but totally not allowed in california you can't set bait out for an animal um the types of calls so you're allowed cheap. To use. who would even want to do that, that that's just uh, yeah. kind of bullshit like well, yeah. are you like why would you consider yourself a hunter then yeah there yeah it's it's you're essentially farming an animal a wild animal which which you know for me on a ethical reason i i just don't i i don't think it's it's hard for me to see people feed any wild animal whether or not they want to shoot it or not because you're essentially making you're taking away the wild aspect of it because you're uh you know teaching it to you know get some receive something from humans and so yeah whether it's an animal you're going to hunt or otherwise that's you know i i just think it it really compromises that wild nature of the animal so yeah and from a hunting perspective it's cheap for sure um yeah. but you know it's 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 interesting there's a lot of things like this in hunting that um we out here in california would say man that just doesn't seem right but you know on the east coast it's the way they've always done things and they just see it differently and I don't see it the same way, but I don't necessarily judge them for doing it because it's the way that they were raised doing it. But yeah, in my mind, I wouldn't want to do it because it's it would seem it would cheapen the experience for me personally. Yeah, totally. And, and, and just the, because things are the way that you've always done things doesn't mean it's the way you should keep doing things. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and that's you know, and a ton is changing uh, legally in in California in regards to hunting, and there's you know a lot of changes that the government the, that the Fish and Game Commission is making. And so the laws into that, to speak to that, the laws are constantly changing. So it's even more something you need to keep up on top of. It's, I can't stress it enough that one of the, the, I mean, you really have to work hard to become a hunter, to be good at finding animals, to be, you know, a good shot and all that. But you need to pay a lot of attention to the laws because I mean, my greatest fear when I go out hunting is not that I'm not going to get an animal. It's that I'm going to do something wrong and I'm going to, you know, in a, you know, without, my knowledge i'm you know do something illegal and and that would just you know that i would hate that so it's it's really something you have to pay a lot of attention to the laws are just very complicated and like i said changing all the time so but like this is like what i'm telling you is just really just scratching the surface of it and like i said if if anyone wanted to get into hunting the if they went to the fishing game uh actually physically went to an office or called them they're so much more than helpful because this is what they do all day they want to they don't want to see you out there where you're doing something wrong they want to coach you before you go out there and make sure that you know, you know how to be in the right. So I don't want to get, you know, overstress that, but it's very, it's a, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, it's good to know. How, yes. how about on, on your end, are there any sort of, uh, like, like unspoken, like hunters codes, like things that, uh, things that all hunters do or, or like the majority of hunters will do, but it's not necessarily like a law on the books, but it's just like, look, this is like what we do as good people, as good hunters. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to to really say. I mean, there's definitely things that I know, you're, you're like hunters codes, hunters ethics, just, you know, common courtesies. Um, but, you know, for me, I wasn't raised in a hunting family. I was raised in Orange County. Um, for people that grew up in the Midwest or in Northern California where they have you know, a long hunting tradition in their family. A lot of things get passed on that I probably am totally oblivious to. But that being said, I've been doing it for 10 years and I've picked up on it. And I mean, there's, it's just like anything. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, there's people that go by certain, you know, codes of conduct and people that don't things like if you're going in a hunt in a spot and you see some guy's headlamp in the dark, making his way up the same uh, ridge as you. I mean, it's, going to pain you to do it but you've already hiked three or four miles in there but you're going to have to turn around and go somewhere else that you know is not going to be as good 
not everybody does that, but that's, you know, that's for your sake and for that guy's sake. You don't want to, you know, both be in there and crowding, you know, crowding out the wildlife and stuff like that. So yeah. Or have like a homicide on your hands. Yeah. You know what? Surprisingly, uh, statistically, I mean, in, in the type of hunting that we do in out here in the West, a lot of that doesn't happen because we aren't allowed to drive around in trucks with our guns loaded and we aren't allowed to, you know, uh, I mean, there's just like all sorts of hunting tactics that totally lend themselves to people shooting each other. But that's a whole nother thing with gun safety and all that. And, uh, for the most part, when I go hunt, I don't see a single person the whole time. So that's, that's the best part of that. That's, that's the best of both worlds. there. just safe and you aren't, you know, being pressured by other, other people. So, um, yeah. And the, and the safety is, is a whole nother thing we can get into, but, uh, you know, gun safety is a, is a really serious thing. And when you're hunting, it complicates it because you, you're focused so much, so intently on the pursuit that, and if you're with other people, honestly, it's kind of secondary, uh, you, you know, thinking about where they are and what they're doing, you know, you know, but you definitely want to make sh- very certain when you do shoot or anything like that, that, you know, for sure, no one's in between you and the animal or behind you and the animal, stuff like that. But it's a really dynamic environment. So that's where accidents do happen. It's a really serious thing that, um, that, and that was a tough one for me because I didn't have, you know, you picture, I mean, most hunters in America were taken out, you know, when they were kids by their dad and they were, you know, had these things drilled into them. I mean, I'm not saying I'm unsafe because I didn't have that. I'm probably more safe because I'm really hyper-conscious about those things. But, you know, those are all things that it's really helpful if you have someone taking you along saying, listen, this is a very unsafe situation. This is something that, you know, we don't do. It's legal, but it's you know, not something that we're going to do. We're not going to walk around with loaded guns four in a row down the trail. Super bad idea, you know. <laughs> Inevitably, yeah. someone's going to have a gun pointed at them. It's loaded. I mean, it's terrifying you know, think about, but it, it happens all the time because you're out there doing crazy stuff. You're climbing up and down mountains, crossing rivers, you know, doing all sorts of things, jumping over logs and, you know, with a, a loaded or a semi-loaded gun with, you know, it has, uh, ammunition in the magazine. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, you definitely have to be very conscious of, of the safety aspect too. So you're but saying you're, you will typically, and, and some hunters will typically not load their gun until they get to where they are for sure going to hunt. Uh, even, uh, mostly, uh, they're not going to load their gun until they're for sure going to shoot for, and then, then we're talking about, uh, deer hunting here or, you know, big game hunting. Yeah. Um, and, and this is all obviously rifle hunting, which I do do a bit of, but, um, bow hunting for a lot of reasons, obviously safer, but like when guys are duck hunting, they're sitting in the duck line. They're uh, absolutely, their guns are all loaded safeties on, but they're, they have, they all got loaded guns. They're not walking around a bunch either. So it's safer in that respect, but guys, especially in a group. If guys are out deer hunting, uh, definitely common uh, practice is to not have a bullet in the chamber so that if something did happen, you dropped your gun, you fell on it, you something hit the trigger, the gun's not going to go off even if the safety fails. So that's, yeah, that's an example of right there, something that you're legally allowed to walk around with a, a loaded rifle. You're not allowed to drive around with one, uh, but you're allowed to walk around with one. And, um, and that's, from a safety standpoint, maybe not the best idea. You should take it one step further than the law. and not always have a loaded rifle in your hands so yeah that's that's definitely one that uh most hunters in my experience adhere to or should (laughs) yeah yeah definitely let's we we did we talked around it a little bit so let's just kind of directly talk about the ethics of hunting right now so i what what you said i thought was really interesting so uh, and and keep in mind you know i'm neither here nor there and you know i I have no problem with hunting I, i think that that's totally fine um 
but it, it's I find it funny that you said that it's bad for people to feed animals because which by the way I totally agree with you it is it's really bad for people to feed animals but it, but there is a certain amount of irony in saying that it's bad for people to feed animals because it uh you know you should let the animals be out in the wild and it makes them not wild it's like well you know what else makes an animal not wild <laughs> is killing it that definitely makes it not wild anymore so yeah um yeah just tell me tell us some of your thoughts on on the ethics of hunting yeah absolutely i mean it is complicated it's something that i struggle with and i think that most hunters struggle with i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't hunt for 10 years if you didn't enjoy it and appreciate the wildlife i mean so i think plenty of people probably go out and do it and don't think it's that special of an experience and they probably just let it fall by the wayside but you know for people who you know, go out and do it every year and really appreciate it. Like I do. It is, I mean, it is absolutely to spend time in the world of that. These animals live in, it is a wild, totally wild world. And you, and, it, and that is the value in it. You know what I mean? If we were all going out to a cow farm and, uh, and shooting cows, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be close to the same thing and nobody would enjoy it. I mean, you get a lot more meat than you get off the deer, but that's not, you know, that's not why you go out there and do it. You do it because you appreciate the animals. And as far as the ethics go, you have to take serious steps to show the animal respect. And that's, I think, where people who don't hunt probably don't see it like that. But I see it where I'm not going to go out and feed a bear in Yosemite Park my sandwich. I think that shows it no respect because that bear deserves to be out, you know, finding berries and eating them off of trees, you know, getting fish out of the stream running down and catching its own, its own prey. I mean, that's what that bear was made to do. And when I teach it that, Hey, if you walk up to a person, they might throw a sandwich at you that really compromises, you know, that, that bears wildness. And that's sad. You know what I mean? And I, I do see it that when you shoot an animal, that it's no longer a wild animal, but in my mind and and the way I see it and really what brought me into it. And like, I kind of talked about before with the ducks, the biggest aspect of it for me too the really even more so than how much I enjoy it is the food that you get from it. And that was really why I didn't duck hunt for so long after that, because the food aspect of duck hunting for me was really lacking. <laughs> yeah, and, it and turns out it's other, just your cooking skills. Oh yeah, it was definitely. And that's a, uh, and that's a huge part of it with, I mean, ducks are tricky, but it's all tricky, but, um, but the food aspect of it is huge. I mean, like, I, I mean, it's a huge point of pride for me that, you know, in my family, we haven't bought uh, red meat from the store since last September, because I shot a deer last September, I shot a deer last November. And that's, I mean, it's my wife and I and two little kids, so we don't eat a ton of meat. We don't need a bunch. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's a huge point of pride for me because I respect that deer so much and that we get to, and that it gets to feed us, you know, for months and months and months. And at the same time, what we're not eating is an animal that was raised, you know, I know there's varying degrees of farming but you know that it was not an animal that was raised in captivity that was slaughtered in a slaughterhouse that was processed by somebody else which is a huge thing for me i process all my own meat i butcher all my own meat um so i mean that my connection to it and my value of it as meat even is is really high and, and it's you know i respect it a lot yeah this is where i i i do fully support hunting is if if you are if you are okay with the concept of eating meat you have to be okay with the concept of hunting and you have to be more okay with the concept of hunting than you are with just the fact that you eat meat. You know, I like the level of connection that you have to, to these dinners that you're eating. Um, 
is so much more than I've ever experienced. And, and for that reason, like I, you know, I, I would like to go hunting, you know, and like take home my own animal, but to, uh, anything that can, can allow you to get a better view of the food chain and get more up close and personal to it. Um, you know, like farming your own vegetables, whatever it is. And a, see how difficult that is. That like, yeah. oh, this wasn't just some super easy thing that I just went and paid money for. Like, it took me a while to grow these vegetables or it took me a long time to hunt this animal and take it apart or whatever it is. Um, and that you might feel a little bit bad when you pull the trigger and to kill that animal. Like, there, there is, uh, like you, you were talking about, that, like a little bit of an internal conflict, you know? And mm-hmm. that internal conflict is a good thing to have in... in when people go to the grocery store and they just grab something off the shelf. And when I say people, I'm speaking of myself as well. It's like, there is not a lot of internal conflict there, you know, <laughs> cause you're just yeah. f- fucking grabbing some meat that's sitting on the shelf. Like how much internal conflict can there be? Um, but when you need to kill the animal, it really, it, it, it makes you really darn sure like how much you want that meat. Like how badly do you want this meat? If it's going to be something that you're going to have to kill yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. I mean, from a nutritional standpoint and also from a, yeah, I mean, from the way I feel about it, I eat less meat. I mean, because for one, I don't want to burn through all that deer meat. I I love it. The flavor and everything you cannot buy. I mean, grass fed beef is close, but venison is, is just a whole nother level. And I don't want to, I don't want to run out of it. You know, I really enjoy eating. It. And from an, on the nutritional standpoint, it's so densely packed with protein and so low in fat, it's so healthy and so good. I mean, typically my wife and I will eat, you know, maybe just a four ounce piece, you know, if I like do a roast, an eight ounce roast and, and we split it. I mean, when's the last time that you felt like, uh, that you, that you went to a restaurant, if they serve you a four ounce steak, you would feel very slighted. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, that and wouldn't very, even be on the menu. probably hungry. Yeah. yeah. Be, <laughs> it'd be a joke. But, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a huge part of it for sure. Um, and, and that's really becoming a popular movement the people that are coming to hunting is that the, the like local war movement. I mean, yeah, I, I, I take that responsibility in like all aspects in that I, you know, I catch or shoot all my own fish, spearfishing. Uh, I'd like to you know grow. I mean, as much as I can in our garden at home. And it's not, I'm not passing judgment on people that, that don't do that. But for me, I mean, I love to cook since my t- previous failures in college cooking. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. And this just feeds into that. It makes every meal you know, so much more valuable and, and you know, it tastes amazing, obviously, but you have so much more invested in it and it's very rewarding. And when you get to share that with people, it's, you know, it's unreal. It's, you, you can't compare it. If you say, Oh, I went and, you know, I, I paid 30 bucks for the ingredients at the, at the store for this, or, you know, I literally, I spent 10 days on a mountain and on the 10th day I shot this deer and then packed it on my back, you know, yeah, yes, I will finish all this meat on my plate because (laughs) I I know I had so much invested into it and it's the time and the money and the effort, the time away from your family. So all those things, you know, and that's, that's the coolest thing about it is that the hunt doesn't end for me when I've harvested that animal, you know, the, the hunt ends for me, I guess, when that meat's out of my freezer and even then it's not over. I still have all the memories, but every time that I take a piece of meat out of the freezer, I'm thinking about it and I've got, you know, meat from two different deer in my freezer. I think about that different experience from each of those. It's, it's very specific and it's still, you know, right there in the, in the front of my mind. And, uh, I think that's amazing. I never realized any of this before I got into hunting. And uh, after I shot my first deer and had like that actual, you know, stockpile of meat that the last me, it was, it was crazy that, uh, you know, this, how it just keeps on go- going on down for months and months, the experience. 
Yeah. And it was it was really cool. It's super cool. So do you encounter much hate or arguments or anything from from people about uh the fact that you hunt or has society kind of like wised up to the fact that it's a pretty great thing to do like like you said about the locavore movement and stuff like that that there's a lot of people nowadays that want to buy grass-fed meat that want to buy wild fish because these are things that they care about um it only goes hand in hand with that that people would would feel a little bit better about hunting yeah you know what honestly um i don't i don't get a lot of negative reactions to it i mean maybe people are you know, a little bit on the fence, but if I'm able to have a conversation like this, which is a huge reason I wanted to do the the podcast with you, because I, and I, I hope that people are still listening at this point and to hear this conversation that we're having, (laughs) because this is what I think is really important that people understand about hunting is that like, honestly, I don't, I mean, not to judge people or say, speak badly at all people who buy their food at a grocery store. But I think that, uh, like I have as much of an appreciation and understanding and, and even almost more so on the same level as a vegan, in the matter of respect for animals and all that, you know, then, then with people who eat meat and who are opposed to to what I do. And like I said, I really don't encounter that much opposition. And I've spoken to plenty of vegans who are vegans for the, you know, for the reasons of um, animal welfare. And I think, I mean, I hope that they understand that where I'm coming from is a better place than someone who just says, I don't care where my meat comes from. Give me the factory farmed cow that was tortured for, you know, a year and a half and pumped full of nasty stuff. And then, you know, ends up on my plate for two bucks a pound. Yeah, you know, I, that's yeah. So it's it, you're right. It's it's a total all these. I think that people really respect that once when they can hear it. But that's the problem. I think is that what you know the way I hunt isn't really visible to the public at all because I'm doing almost everything I can to not see other people. I mean, the first year that I shot, though, interestingly, uh, was three years ago. Is, is when I really first started to get serious about uh, hunting for deer. I walked back to a really really crowded trailhead in the Sierra. There's a lot of people around and I was really nervous about how it was going to go down because I probably passed, I, I was six miles away from my truck when I, when I got it. And by the time I packed it back down to the truck, it was 2,500 feet in elevation and yeah, like six, six miles down wow. lower. And I probably passed about 30 or 40 people on the trail and some of them didn't say anything and gave a pretty blank look like, you know, like, like, what is that? You know, you got a crossbow or people think it's a crossbow, but it's a compound bow and, and, uh, and a deer head strapped to his pack, but I didn't get one single negative comment. I had a ton of people come up and say, what did you just shoot that deer? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, where's the meat? I said, well, look at my pack. It's like, you know, it weighs like 80 pounds. It's full of, de- it's full of meat. And they're like, that's, you know, it's amazing. And then like over and over and over, I was blown away. I mean, this is in California, which people, most people have no contact with hunting growing up or people they know hunting. So and all that. And I, I was blown away. And, and it's really been a lot of that for me. Um, you know, whenever it gets brought up or people, you know, hear me or see, seeing something that tips them off that I'm a hunter and we get to have this conversation, I'm really you know excited to get to have that conversation with people and, and explain to them what it's about. But unfortunately, the, the hunters that are visible to the public are the guys driving around in their trucks, you know, on the roads, looking for a deer to shoot out the window. They probably look like a poacher to most people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, totally. it's unfortunate. It is legal. And, you know, and, and then we can go, you know, on and on about how I feel about those kind of things. I, you know, it, it, like I already talked about the challenge is not so much there. So I'm not going to appreciate that as much, but those are the people, that's the perception that the public has because they're, you know, they're in the forefront of visibility that people see. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, know, that's the way that everything is. Like a, a, any negative group of people, that's the one that's in the forefront of people's minds when they think of something. Like I, I, I'm thinking now about things like CrossFit, 
or or you mentioned vegans <laughs> like a lot of yeah. people have a, a bad opinion of vegans you know and it's like they're just normal people too but it, we have bad opinions of of people that do crossfit and people that do vegans because of how evangelical we perceive them to be and yep. yet there's probably a ton of them that aren't very evangelical and the whole yep. reason you don't know is because they're not very evangelical that's why you don't know about them you know yeah, but absolutely um yeah like if you're super respectful and a nice good hunter people obviously aren't going to notice you because they're just going to notice the guy that drives past them on the freeway with like truck nuts hanging off the back of his f-150 <laughs> and his uh like rifle sticking out the window so yeah. yeah exactly exactly i mean and then things like you know when guys are driving around with a with a deer head with a deer head sticking out of the back of their truck i mean not everybody wants to see that i mean it's inevitable when i hike off the mountain with the deer in my backpack that i have to you know there's no containing that but you know, not everybody wants to see that. And that's something that hunters do have to and do pay attention to and respect, you know, uh, we don't want to wave it in everybody's faces, but that just, yeah, I, I just think that the perception of hunting is going in the right direction at the same time, unfortunately, like hunter numbers and hunter recruitment is plummeting, especially in places like California. I think that's sad because I mean, I think a lot of that is people who did hunt as kids and then just kind of fallen away from it. And maybe it's not, it wasn't presented to them in a way that is really important to them. But, um, I mean, it's there, there are people right now trying to assemble numbers to talk about the number of pounds of wild meat that are harvested every year in, in North America, because it's never been done before. And they said, we should figure this out because it's going to be an astounding number. But I mean, definitely we, there's the capacity to have more hunters out there in the field and more people should do it because, I mean, if you want quality meat and you want to have an amazing experience, you know, bringing that meat to your table, you should go out and hunt. And and there's totally room for everybody out there. I mean, like I said, I don't see people for days and days and it wouldn't bother me if I did. I would, I would really like to see more people getting out there. But I think that the perception of like, oh, all my friends are going to judge me, you know, that I'm turning into a redneck because I'm going out to go hunting, you know, things are, people are going to yell at me. People are going to, you know, throw paint bombs at me. So, you know, who knows? You know, the angry vegans are going to get after me. That's really, it's really not the environment that <laughs> the I live in. And angry I live in, vegans are going to get after me. <laughs> you no, know, I mean that's that's what pe I mean people probably think. But I mean, yeah. I I live in you know a super urban environment, and everybody that I know, I mean, I can't even tell you how many people I've got to start hunting as as I've gotten more and more into it. People who are like, man, that sounds like the the coolest thing. I mean, I just never had any opportunity to go out and do it because there's you know the barrier of entry for sure, and knowing somebody that does it is the best way to get into it. But um. But yeah that's and after the after the startup cost of buying let, let's say you didn't have a gun so you obviously got to buy a gun um, and buying your permit and classes and stuff like that it doesn't sound like there's a lot of or, or uh, all right so let's say the permit is a cost and, and every year you got to spend 40 bucks on your permit um and maybe another 40 on a particular tag or a stamp are you truly looking at basically like 80 bucks to have deer for the entire year well let me tell you about the dismal success rates that we have here in california because your chances of actually tagging out on a deer once you buy, buy a tag for one of those western sierra zones like i was talking about and i'm just focusing on this because you live in the bay area i live in southern california it's kind of the closest opportunity that most people will have the success rate there is in the range of seven to ten percent so it's not like you know 80 bucks and bam you got your deer you got to work super hard uh there's definitely other places that you can go and and up your odds of, I mean, and you're not like you're constrained to those odds. Well, that, or a know. wild pig then. Well, I mean, whatever. I mean, yeah. wild, well, wild pig, yeah. a pig is awesome. I don't know if wild pig tastes not they, good, but I know regular pig tastes awesome. 
tastes way better, way better than any farm raised pig for sure. But uh, wild pigs are even way tougher, actually. So it, we can start getting into this. I mean, there's there's so much in, that you know that plays into it. But like generally, so say you have a statistic of seven to ten percent of hunters are successful in an area. If you actually, if you come at it like I did, I was really into backpacking, rock climbing, mountain climbing. So for me to go off with everything on my back for four days and just you know head up into the mountains off trail to where nobody's going to be, your your chances of success are instantly not even just doubled quadrupled i mean you are doing way more than what most people are doing which is driving around on the roads and hoping that a deer crosses the road in front of them unfortunately that's the truth but it's really good in that if you are dedicated and patient and you know have the stamina to go out and get away from people your success rates are much better so yeah essentially um i mean once you get into it it's just like anything you'll start spending money on gear and all this and that but I mean, when I shot my first deer, I had a used bow that I bought for 200 bucks. I had my backpack, my torn up uh, climbing pack that I'd used for years. That was the, the absolute worst backpack I could have used for it, but it's what I had. I was wearing a, you know, like a pair of cotton pants from H&M and a plain t-shirt and no camo, no nothing, my hiking boots. And I just went out and did it. And I think that that's it can happen like that i mean it's it, you don't need a bunch of fancy gear that was in august so you, you don't have to worry about the elements or anything like that i mean if, if you're set up to go backpacking you're set up to go hunting essentially um you can get the you know you can get into it uh like i said for my bow it was like 200 bucks you can buy a shotgun for 250 bucks or a rifle for you know 200 300 not going to be a great one you'll probably outgrow it but it's totally enough to get the job done and and i think that you know not spending a lot of money on your gear is really important and focusing on getting the time off of work, uh, you know, spending the money on gas to go drive and do these kind of things and, you know, to buy the tags and have that experience. So spending your money on experiences more than on the material things that you think are going to help, help you achieve success, super important. And it's a trap that a lot of people fall into. And I fell into it and definitely a bit in thinking that, you know, I can up my chances. I mean, you have to be prepared, but the most important thing is to get out and do it. That's how you, you know, beat the odds, uh, you know, by, by putting your time and putting the miles in. Yeah. I mean, that's a great philosophy for life. Um, Steven, talk to us about the processing and butchering. I, I was really fascinated when you mentioned carrying the meat down and it was inside your pack. I totally figured that if you were processing and butchering your meat yourself, that you would be like slinging the entire freaking animal over your shoulders and then carrying it back to your car. And then you got to drive it back towards where you live and then you process and butcher it there. Um, are you cutting it into like different steaks while you're like there in the field? And then you have what, like some sort of lining in your backpack that you can just throw them all inside. Yeah. It would be super convenient if I could have gotten the truck, uh, six miles in there and thrown it in. But no, I mean, just, it's a totally, uh, you know, an efficiency thing where you have to cut as much weight as possible. I mean, so typically when people go backpacking, you've got, you know, 35, 40 pounds in your pack, which I would consider even at the, the heavier end of the spectrum. But uh, when you add a deer to that, which is like 80 pounds, you're going to do everything you can to shed as, you know, a pound here, a pound there. So the process that I do, and then most people that hunt the same way that I do, we backpack way in. They call it, you, you take all the bones out of the meat. Now, I mean, it's a process for sure. Um, you, you're, it takes about an hour, hour and a half to do it. And this is like the very first step of the process is you have nowhere near a finished product. But um, you, 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 and I, we actually don't even typically uh, gut the deer. You actually just work completely around from the outside because you're risking a lot if you if you uh, break that 
into the gut cavity because there's so much bacteria and just nasty stuff in there that if it gets on the meat and then you got to hike for four or five hours or mm. even go out the next day and it's warmer temperatures, that will spoil your meat. So you have to really be conscious of what you're doing. Um, you know, as far as cleanliness, it's huge. And it's the last place that you would think that you would be able to be cleanly because you're in the forest, you're on the, you know, in the dirt. So that's crazy. So it's more like hacking the legs off and the head and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, then, then there's a whole other thing. It's you really want to avoid hacking because you don't want to break any bone because it's, it's, it's sharp. And then it's, you know, it could puncture the bags you use to hold the meat in or cut you. It's, it's really easy to get cut by bone that you pack. So I actually use, um, a knife that is like a replaceable blade scalpel blade knife. It has scalpel blades. Like as far as I know, very similar to what they use in surgery. I mean, the knife was built around the blade because these blades are mass produced. They're super, super sharp and readily available. So I use a scalpel blade and if you, you know, try to push down on it with it on a table, it would snap, but it's super sharp and effective at just straight cuts. Wait, but they and, cut through bone? No, you don't cut the bone. That's the whole thing. You want to avoid cutting the bone. You oh, can actually, but so yeah. you're leaving the legs on the animal or no? No, you're not. Well, you take the, you take the legs off. You can take a leg off of a deer without breaking the bone. You just cut the ligaments out and you take right, the, so right. the process is essentially this. You take the legs off, you take the back straps, which are essentially like the, um, I guess, I think it's like the filet, like the filet mignon off of a, a beef, but it's, it's like along the spine and it's, that's absolutely the best, most tender part of the animal. So you take that out, um, you take all the neck meat off all the side, like rib meat. Uh, typically you wouldn't pack the rib bones out. You just, shave all the meat off of the ribs and then you gotta and then lastly you gotta reach in and grab the tenderloins the heart the liver that's that's as much as i take guys get crazy and take other organs but um so essentially now you've got all the legs off now you go and you cut the leg meat out it's it sounds like a lot like you have to be like come from a butchery background to do it but it's crazy intuitive i i taught uh four guys how to do it this past year on their first deer and just stood there and watched them and they, you know, it's really intuitive because the muscle groups, they all stay, you know, you just kind of leave muscle groups together and you, and you kind of just go at it, go slow and steady. You want to make sure, especially you're not going to cut yourself. Um, because that, if you cut yourself with that blade and you're six miles out, you're in big, big trouble because those things cut like nothing, you know, like a hot knife through butter. And, uh, so you basically break it down. So you, all you're left with is meat and it's a lot of meat. And then you, uh, put it the first time, the first deer that I shot, I wasn't very confident I was going to get anything. So I brought my wife's pillowcases because, uh, cotton pillowcases are a perfect thing to put meat in because it allows moisture to go out, but it doesn't allow any contaminants to come in. Uh, but there is like, a, it's essentially like a really tight cheesecloth is like the ideal material that, uh, flies or, you know, bugs and stuff can't get in, but all the moisture and heat can go out. And it's a really important thing. Obviously most people wouldn't ever consider buying uh, you know, a five pound pork butt roast from the store and then leaving it in the back of their car for six hours and then considering that edible. But you, 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 I mean, you have to pay a lot of attention to it and gain the confidence that you can handle the meat properly, but it's really pretty hard to mess up if you're clean and organized about it. And yeah, you get that meat off the hill. And, um, and then that's when the fun really starts. You got to take it home and you start breaking it down. And, um, I mean, if you want me to get into it, I'll go, go on and on. But I mean, basically you, you just take like the leg meat, the, the rear leg of a deer has probably got a nine, 10, 11 different distinct muscle groups. And the way that I butcher, I don't make, make steaks where you have like, you know, just like a straight cut. I break it down into each muscle group and then the meat cooks a lot better that way because you have no connective tissue. You've eliminated all the connective tissue between muscle groups. Uh, and you're yeah. like, So, I mean, and when I first did it, I took one of those pictures of a, uh, you know, like the, the um 
the butcher's poster with like the really cool drawing of the cow with all the different cuts on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because some of it, so much of it translates across to a deer. I mean, there's little differences here and there, but you're essentially getting all those same cuts. And uh, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but that first year, <laughs> it took me. I, I went home after work every day, and it would take me two or three hours. I work on front right leg, the front left leg the next night, the back right leg the next. And it, it took me five days to get that whole thing done. Where'd you have these things in the meantime? In an ice chest. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the meat, the meat keeps really well. I mean, I was never afraid of uh, any contamination or anything like that. Once you've got it down to temperature, I mean, think about how a dry aged beef, I mean, they hang that in a, I mean, a kind of scarily warm environment yeah. uh, for a very long time. You know, uh, the meat that, you know, when I get it off the hill, I'm keeping it on ice. I'm not physically touching the ice because that could damage it, but you know, I'm keeping it cold for, you know, really, it'll, it'll keep for a long time. I do uh, freeze almost all of it. I mean, I, I essentially do freeze all of it except for what little I eat between, you know, uh, killing it and, pro- and finishing the processing. Um, but you know, the, the vast majority of it gets, gets frozen. I vacuum seal it, label the cuts, label, you know, which deer it was where I shot it, um, you know, location wise. And then, and then, yeah. And then just keep pulling it out of the freezer all for months and months on end. Man, this all sounds so awesome. I'm like so sold. I I wish that we live right near each other so we could just go out like next week or something. It would be awesome. Well, I, I head up, like we talked about a bit before the show, but, um, I hunt up in the more like the Northern half of the Sierra, like below Tahoe, I guess not, no, that wouldn't be Northern Sierras, but you know, that's, that's where I prefer to go. And, um, and that's a whole other thing of it. Like I kind of alluded to a bit before, but about just the location and all that. And if, if you want to get into it, I mean, going out and hunting is absolutely the best, but going out with a hunter, I took my cousin out last year on a four day trip bow hunting with me. And, uh, he got back and the first thing he did was start looking for bows to buy. Cause he had such a blast it's just, <laughs> just being out there and, you know, beginning to observe everything is just, it's just unreal. So when you're hunting bow or not, are you typically trying to aim for the head of the animal or it, does it really matter? Um, because then you just maybe run in quickly afterwards with a knife and cut their throat or something. <laughs> No, no, far from that. That, that. That'd be the, if everything went seriously, things would have to go seriously wrong for that to be the, uh, the final, the, the final approach to taking out, you know, to finishing off the animal. No, it's, it's, um, shooting him in the head is generally not what, uh, what you want to do. Bow hunting, never, you never want to do that. Um, it's, it's another, it's another whole part of the ethics is, you know, it's your responsibility as a hunter to know how to effectively and most humanely, you know, dispatch the animal with bow hunting and with rifle hunting to the same regard. The most 100% way to dispatch an animal quickly is to shoot it in the lungs. It will absolutely die. It will die fairly quickly. And, it, you know, it'll leave a really good blood trail, which is usually how you have to find the animal, especially bow hunting, because they will, they have that reserve oxygen and they'll, they'll be frightened and they'll run. Sometimes they won't hardly run at all. They'll not even know something happened because the the arrowhead that you're shooting with the broadhead is razor sharp and it's you know like if you were cut yourself with a super sharp knife you almost don't even feel it so that's essentially what you're going for you're going for the most ethical direct you know like they say once that arrow is left your string you cannot take it back so you want to make sure that when you let that arrow fly that you know what's going to happen um and the shooting at the lungs is is the biggest target it's the most effective target so that's that's the you know that's like the 90% of the shots taken. You can aim for the heart. Obviously that's a quicker and you know more absolute thing, but that's a much smaller target. So if you miss the heart, you risk hitting in an area where you're just going to wound the animal and you don't want to do that. I mean, that's the last thing that any hunter wants to do is wound an animal that's not going to die at all or quickly. 
you know, not going to be recoverable. So yeah. going for the lungs definitely is, is the way to assure that. I mean, it's a pretty big target actually on a, on a deer. So, um, so that's, that's typical. I mean, some rifle hunters, they use like, uh, if you select the bullets correctly, you can shoot them in the, in the neck and it will be like, it will be a guaranteed instant kill. But the, the caveat to that is that the type of bullet that you use, it's called like a frangible bullet where it goes into like a hundred pieces. It will taint a lot of the meat. So it's a definitely, a, it's, there's always trade-offs. Like guys will say, Oh, I don't want to shoot it in the shoulder, like where the lungs are. Cause I'm going to ruin the lung meat or the yeah shoulder meat. I'm sorry. And well, yeah, but you just really want to make sure that the animal is going to go down you know, and, and it's a small, it's a very small loss. You know, it's like a half a pound of meat. Usually if you cut an arrow straight through, that's going to be totally bloodshot, but, um, there, there, and then there's, you could go on and on and on about the ethics of other types of shots to take. I mean, just to you know, put a, put it clean, clear and simple. You should only shoot an animal that's standing broadside to you or a little bit angled off one way or the other, because then you're sure that you're going to get it, you know, through both lungs. It's, it's there's no question about it. It's the biggest target. And then anything else and beyond that, you just should do your homework about the anatomy of an animal and know what you're doing because there's a lot to it and a lot of responsibility, you know? I mean, so I'm just thinking for, I mean, so I, I own a couple guns. I've shot guns many times before. I, it's not that easy to hit that small of a target, like depending on how far away you are. First of all, how far away are you and how reliably can you hit an animal in the lungs like that? Well, uh, just to say for deer, um, I mean, saying that the lung area is like eight inches by 10 inches is very conservative. It's bigger than that on pretty much every deer. So that's, that's a pretty big target, right? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, considerably for, for what I practice shooting, uh, with my bow and, and I'll mostly talk speak to bow hunting because that's mostly what I do. Um, but generally like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a shot that I'm not hundred percent confident. In. And I know that I'm human and I, and there's air, there's, a ton of factors. I mean, you're in the mountains, there's wind, there's twigs, which has been my downfall before shooting at deer. I've hit twigs because the arrow takes a very, you know, arcs a lot in flight and you don't take that into account because you say, Oh, I have a clear shot to the deer, but my arrow is going to go up 10 inches before it gets to the deer. That's, uh, that's, that's gotten me before. But, um, so as far as, you know, just your accuracy between, you know, your effectiveness with your weapon. Yeah. You need to be hundred percent confident. I practice out to 60 yards with my bow consistently and I won't shoot a deer beyond 40 yards, no way. And even in 40 yards, there's a lot of things that have to line up. I passed up a ton of deer at 30 and 40 yards that I wouldn't shoot. And I have shot a deer at 40 yards, but it was because everything was lined up and I knew that that was going to be a good shot. With a rifle, it's the same thing. The ranges are obviously much further. Um, the furthest I would probably consider shooting a deer at with a rifle with my skill, because I don't practice with the rifle very much, would be like 200 yards. Um, but again, my my rifle will put five shots inside of an inch and a half circle at 200 yards. So it's definitely not the rifle. It's me at that point. Yeah, totally. You know? So yeah, I mean, proficiency with your weapon is huge. And, um, and, and, and that's the, that's one of the reasons I love bow hunting so much because I living in where I live, I couldn't go out and shoot a rifle every day. I can go out and shoot a bow every day and it's a blast. I mean, it's just inherently just such a satisfying thing to do to shoot arrows down, send them down range and hit the target. I mean, people who hunt or don't hunt, love that you know and it's super relaxing so i mean it, it's you know it, you you want to find a, a practice within hunting that is enjoyable to you and for me it's it's archery for a ton of reasons it's for that it's you know that you when you're out in the woods it's quiet all the time there's way less hunters people aren't even aware that you're there you're not bothering anybody the animals are acting really natural you know they, they don't they have no perception that there's hunters around so for all those reasons bow hunting for me is super enjoyable but it's it's super, super challenging too. I mean, 
way more challenging than rifle hunting. Ah, man, so. it sounds so cool. So let's go ahead and wind this thing down, Stephen, um, and give people a little, a uh, couple of pieces of advice here. So first of all, where do you have to go to go hunting? Uh, like most areas that I've ever been to in California when I'm enjoying the outdoors are parklands of some sort, which is like, I assume the exact opposite of places that you can go hunting is <laughs> yeah. like national and state parks. So where, where do you, where are you allowed to go hunting? Uh, I mean, safe to say, again, this is one of those things where you got to do your homework, but no national parks, obviously pretty much no state parks in California. Uh, no county parks, obviously not no land that you don't own. But other than that, like national, national forest land, BLM land, that's pretty much all open to hunting. I mean, like we were talking about a bit before the show, I live in orange County. I go bow hunting for deer in the winter and I can see downtown Los Angeles. I'm in on Angeles national forest and I'm, you know, very close to a huge metropolitan area, but the, you know, the, the rules, the use of that forest area, hunting is, uh, you know, part of it's what they plan for. So there are, there are definitely, um, restrictions within that. You can't hunt for, you know, example, within 400 yards of a campground or developed recreational site or, uh, occupied building, um, stuff like that. There's a lot of roads out in in the local area. You can't hunt within 150 yards of that road because so many people are on those roads. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all, all things that are, you know, are logical, you know, they're, they're there to protect, you know, the non-hunting community from hunters. I mean, not like hunters are deliberately trying to hurt people, but you know, there's things, you know, you have arrows and bullets flying around. You want to be very conscious of that. So, so yeah, essentially, um, you know, any, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of actually really good software out there. If you wanted, if you really want to get into hunting, there's things, there's like a software called Onyx maps where it will show you land ownership, like to, you know, a pixel, like very defined where you can go. And then things like that, that restrict your hunting, you know, it's, it's usually spelled out. So, I mean, there's that I use stuff like that a lot because you want to make sure that you're on public land, you're on public land, it's legal to hunt and you know, that you're not near a campground or anything like that. So you got, you know, it, the onus is on you, the responsibility is on you as a hunter to make sure you're in a legal spot. So you got to do your homework, but it's actually very surprising when you start doing your homework, how many places you can go to hunt. So cool, man. So, and, uh, yeah, if you just want to give us any sort of advice that if someone was listening to this and they're like, dude, that sounds awesome. I think I would like to try out hunting. Um, like what sort of advice do you think you should give? I mean, I just say, go for it. Uh, if you don't know anyone that hunts, it's going to be tougher for sure. But, um, if you're a person who enjoys learning by doing, it'll be super rewarding. And it's not probably that tough in most places to go out and find someone that hunts. There's, a all sorts of just like any any pursuit or activity or sport there's plenty of organizations out there um i would you know not to speak badly of people who rifle hunt but i think that bow hunters as a group are much more would be um what like someone who's coming from no hunting background would they would be taken in by that community and feel more comfortable in that community like so if you wanted to go out and seek out a local bow hunter you know bow hunters chapter or uh, archery club that's like a great place to go because you'll meet people and hunters are, you know, everyone realizes that we're a dying breed essentially, and they'll be happy to take you know, new people out in the field. And, and, um, you know, from someone who's, you know, has no background in it, you know, archery hunting will blow your mind. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's super exciting and it's, you know, it's just a really pure pursuit. So I, that, that would be my one really good recommendation. If someone wanted to get into it and didn't know anybody would just seek out a local group, go out and start shooting a bow and, uh, you know, just take it from there. Just, you know, take it in baby steps um call you know call your local fishing game 
they, they can probably point you in the direction. They, they're going to point you in the direction of how you can get that class taken care of, which is important. Um, and then they can probably point you in the direction of other groups. And then, um, you know, then there's, there's lots of, you know, national groups. Um, one that I really strongly support. And if you don't mind me putting in like a little you know, plug here for no, about what's something that's really important to hunters and just everybody. And hunters are probably more aware of it than anybody else, but you know, backpackers, rock climbers, anybody like that. It's a group called the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Association, and um, they're really big fight right now, which is somewhat in the national spotlight. Not enough is they're fighting just for us to keep national forests and you know BLM lands, you know, as federally owned lands, rather than being transferred to states and essentially, eventually private entities. Because yeah, that's a huge threat. Development and yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, or, or any for any reason, I mean, for mining or logging or anything. Just it's such a huge threat because the biggest thing that is a challenge for someone living in California or anywhere is having a place to hunt. And you know, groups like like them, like the BHA, which they're good to get involved in for a lot of reasons. You'll meet good good people and all that. But they are really at the forefront of this fight. That you know, it's a huge threat that we are. You know, we might in fifty years or sooner not have places to go because there are people who don't believe that we shouldn't have federal national forest federal lands which is crazy because there's such a resource i mean hunters value that a lot because we spend a lot of time out there but i mean anybody that goes out and backpacks they go on national forest land and so it's just something that it's a it's a political issue that's tied to this that's super important like i said just for hunters or anybody but um i just think people need to be really be aware of that it's a resource that everyone probably enjoys and appreciates but doesn't really value high enough to you know to put that you know get in there and get in on the fight for it but um if you get involved with some of these groups, you're, you're essentially supporting that, supporting everyone's access to those lands. And I think that's, that's the most important thing to hunting because, I mean, for me, I don't, I don't own a, a ranch somewhere. So if there wasn't public lands, I wouldn't be able to go, go hunt anymore. So I definitely want to keep that for me. and I want to keep that for everybody. So I think that's a, it's an important point to make whether or not you want to start hunting or not. Um, if you want to have places to go, get out there and, and make your voice heard and, and then and pass the word to other people. So people are aware that that's, that's going on. Definitely. Cool. Steven, thank you for the plug, man. That, uh, that sounds great. Um, and yeah, thank you for coming on the show. This has all been great. I definitely want to get out with you sometime in the next like year or so and go hunting. I am like fully sold now and I really want to get out. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for all the info. I'm sure you probably converted a lot of people over to, uh, to the idea of taking up hunting. Sounds great, Blake. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode on hunting. And like me, maybe you are now thinking that it's something that you would want to try doing and get a little bit closer to the food chain and know a little bit more about what is going on your plate at dinner at night. Um, if you did enjoy this episode, I would appreciate it so much if you left a review for Half Hour Intern on iTunes. Just search for the show title and you can leave a review from there. Thanks so much for listening, guys.